imagine if someone said to you, if you make $200, I'll give you a thousand. It's like, great, great, that's great. How about this? If you make $200 and spend 100 of it, I'll give you a thousand. Even better. And that's essential. I've got to do. I've got to make $20 million. Okay. That's not an amount of money I haven't made before. So this is no longer something I haven't done. I have made $20 million. And on behalf of my companies, totally done it. For one of my companies this year, I made $3.9 million. That was easy. Not 20 million, but 3.9, not hard, right? I, I only had to do that a little bit longer. That was doable. And I was only a part, uh, a part owner of that company. I wasn't even like, you know, fully involved. And I, I did the 3.9. There were other people that made more. This is easy. All right, I can make 20 million in a year. I can only spend 10 million to make it. Doable. So all my costs have to be half. All right, I got it. So now I know that that's the thing I've got to build. I then have to work out, what do I do? How do I do it? So I analyzed the 1900 companies I'd worked with and found what is the one thing they don't have that they needed. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. I want to talk to you guys about how most business owners are what I call an accidental entrepreneur. They didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. You just came up with an idea for a business that you felt needed to be done. And before you know it, three years have passed and you're in some kind of job where you're the boss. So your boss is an asshole because it's you and they make you work in the evenings when you don't want to work and you can't take vacation because your employees are worse than any boss you've ever had. And life just kind of sucks. And then you get older and older and older. And one day you want to quit the business and you want to sell it. And you calculate how many years you've spent building this business. And you're like, well, I really wanted to get paid a million dollars every year. So I've had the business for 20 years. This should be worth 20 million. And you go to get it valued and you walk in and you go, please buy my business. And they're like, yeah, 700 grand. And you're like, what? And they go, well, this is how a business is calculated. This is all it's worth. Yeah, but, but, but the years that the, I, I spent more than that on the business. And they're like, 700 grand, take it or leave it. If you wait any longer, it's probably going to go down. And that is the reality of what happens to most business owners. So we're going to have a real talk about what it takes to actually be successful when it comes to business. Now, I am blessed. I get to literally last week on Wednesday, I was doing a consultation for a $2 billion company. Uh, I have a client who does 70 million a year. I have a few other clients who do a couple of hundred million a year. And I also have clients that uh, contacted me, I think two days ago and said, help, I'm down to my last $300. What does it take to work with you? Right? So like I get reached out to by absolutely everybody. And it gives me a really unique perspective. I haven't lost touch with reality. And I definitely still talk to people that, you know, can't rub $2 together or they can rub $300 together, but no more. And I also deal with people that have three or four private jets and they rent out the ones they're not using when they're not doing it. Because of this, it lets me see some classic mistakes that a typical business owner makes that a very successful business owner doesn't make while also seeing some of the ways that those successful business owners are making mistakes that you guys won't. In order for you to understand this, I want to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is martial arts. I have been doing martial arts since I was seven years old. 
Um, it started with judo and fencing. And throughout my life, I have studied everything from Muay Thai to Wing Chun uh, to boxing, actual kickboxing, jujitsu, uh, a little bit of wrestling, uh, JKD, various types of weapon-based martial arts, a screamer, Kali, so on and so forth. Long story short, I'm really bad at all of them because I just do lots of different ones. No, this, I do a lot of different martial arts. And one of my favorite quotes comes from Bruce Lee, which is, before you study martial arts, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. When you learn martial arts, you realize a punch is no longer a punch and a kick is no longer a kick. But when you master it, and you are truly an expert of martial arts, you realize that a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. To make the analogy in the world of business, before you study business, you think business is all about just make money, make money, make money, that's what it is. When you learn business, you realize it is no longer about that. It's about branding and positioning and advertising and networking and, and delivering a good performance, all these other things. But when you really master it, it's really just about making money. And I wanna make this analogy for you because believe it or not, if you are not happy about the amount of money you're making, it's because you've overcomplicated it and you've forgotten about what it really, truly takes to build a successful business. I developed a, an idea for a company and something that I wanted to work on. And knowing that I wanted this business to be really, really good, I thought, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna hire a billionaire. And I figured, the best kind of advisor I could get for a company would be an absolute billionaire. So I reach out to a billionaire and I contact them, somebody I know through my network, and I say to them, can I pick your brain for five minutes? No, I don't. Because you never say, can I pick your brain for five minutes? You know how much five minutes of my time is worth? Five minutes of my time is worth about $500. I'm expensive. You gotta pay me six grand for an hour of my time. A billionaire, five minutes of their time is a stupid amount of money. You never say to somebody, can I pick your brain? It's one of the biggest insults. You're basically saying, I don't value you enough to give you money, but you should help me take your 20 years worth of knowledge and give it to me in five minutes for free, please. No, that's terrible. Instead, I said, how much would you charge me to ask one question for just five minutes? Very, very specific. Not a whole bunch of questions. I'm not gonna, I just, I have a single question. How much would you charge me? Which brings up one question. If you could ask a billionaire one question about your business, what question should you ask? And I'll tell you, the question I asked was simple. What am I doing wrong that only a billionaire would notice? One question. I don't wanna know what would I do if I were you. I don't wanna know how do I become successful? How do I make this better? No, what am I doing wrong that only a billionaire would notice? And the advice I was given was so stupid, my child could have worked it out. But I couldn't see it because I'm a multimillionaire. And when you have eight figures of revenue coming in, you miss things that a 12 year old can see and that a billionaire can see. Or to make the analogy, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. Known to everyone except those studying. He said, you don't have the one word domain. You don't have the one word domain. And I was like, yeah, but surely that was brand branding and marketing, so social media, like, you know, come on. And he's like, you don't have the one word domain. You're by default, shit. I'm gonna go to the one word domain guy. 
but, 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 there are no buts. That was the end of the discussion. But he's right. So I went out and I bought the one word domain. Now, if you don't know this, a one word domain is almost always seven figures. Six figures if you're lucky. This was a painful purchase. But then again, my car's worth half a million dollars. Got a bunch of properties worth a few million. I just didn't want to buy something for what ended up being six figures that I could have spent on a house or something else. And when a domain is available for $2. Why do I want to buy the one for six figures if there's a $2 available? But it's simply because of positioning. Another piece of advice I was given once by a billionaire, he says, did you know average people check their horoscopes every single day? They always check their horoscopes. They want to know what the universe holds for them. He's like, millionaires never check their horoscopes. It's a waste of time. I build my own reality. But billionaires do. Billionaires do. And he's like, because billionaires realize there is something more than what we can create. Something we have to observe and tap into. A bigger thing beyond us. So, about three months ago, I made a decision to start a brand new company. Now, I had stopped starting new companies because every time I started a new company, it took a lot of energy, it took a lot of effort, and money would come in slowly, and I'd build it up, and it would make like seven figures. It'd take a couple of years, and I would do this, I'd make enough money, get bored of it, keep it going with a little bit of a machine ticking over, then I'd start a new thing, and that's what I did. It was fun. And I would do that while consulting other people on bigger companies. Also fun. So that way I got to work in a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar company, take a huge check, and then build myself a nice seven-figure company that I would sell or keep or whatever I was going to do. And the billionaire made me realize that I, it's time I stopped thinking small and started thinking big and thinking like a billionaire or the average member of public, which is something that I'd lost touch with and forgotten how to think like. So as someone who's done over 1,900 mergers and acquisitions, consultations, or sales and purchases myself, I realized I had to work backwards. I had to start not with, I really want to build a business, and start with, how am I going to sell the business that doesn't exist? And suddenly, everything about the way I designed the business was different. When I used to design a business forward to backwards, it would start with, what do I want to do? How do I envision my life? It would start with, what do I want my day to look like? What colors do I imagine this is going to be? What website shall I use? What branding shall I use? Who shall I reach out to to sell first? What kind of clients do I want? When I'm working backwards, it was really easy. How much money would I like to receive when I sell this thing? So I wrote down $100 million. I think that was a bit too small, to be honest with you. My honest critique of myself, I was a bit too small. But I thought, why not? $100 million. If it's more, what the heck, right? Rather than I'm going to shoot for the stars and maybe hit the moon, I was like, I'll just aim at the moon. And if I get into orbit, that's also cool. It's not like I haven't sold businesses. It's not like I don't know how to do it. What comes next? After knowing how much I want to sell it for, what's the very next question I have to ask? Somebody here. Raise your hand. This is a very obvious question if you think like a normal human. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I love that. A normal human. I am out. What was that? 
What do people want to buy? Pretty close. I actually already knew what they wanted to buy. That's a good question. And, and we will get there because what do they want to buy does come up. But there's one other question that has to be answered first. I know how much money I want. And I already knew the idea. And I'll explain how I knew the idea. Who's going to buy it? Who is going to buy it? You have to start with who is a potential buyer. Otherwise, you might build something and there's nobody available. So for me, it was very simple. I made a list of five companies that have the money to drop 100 million. And this is a value add to them. It's a service they don't have that is a no-brainer for them to plug in. So I've now got those two pieces combined. The next question is, to sell a company for 100 million, how much money does it have to make? The valuation of a company is all of the profit over the last 12 months as a multiple. So this was really easy. If I want to sell for 100 million, my profit has to be 10 million at a 10x multiple. Now, when you get over 5 million in profit a year, the 10x multiple is quite a common one that comes up. 10 is like average. So I'm not even asking for a lot to put this in perspective. A software company would be 27x. So if I did 10 million a year in EBITDA is what they call it, or seller's discretionary earnings if you're not calculating it that way, but just think of it like profit as an average business owner, it's easier. 10x profit, 10 million profit, 100 million valuation. What's a way to guarantee it's 10x? It's to develop a software, because software is 27x. So that makes the job even easier. So I'm only after a 10x on a piece of software that should be 27x at maximum. This is a no-brainer. So I now know that whatever I create, I have to make a software. Cool, I got it. I'm gonna make a software, $10 million in valuation or in EBITDA every single year. The next question is, what will my profit margin be? Well, software tends to be a very high profit margin. You can have crazy high profit margin, especially if you don't do too much development. You just develop the bare minimum, make sure it's good and keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid, right? So I was like, I'll operate at a 50% profit margin from day one. So I now know that I need 20 million in gross sales to be worth 100 million. Suddenly that's a lot easier. Imagine if someone said to you, if you make $200, I'll give you 1,000. It's like, great, great, that's great. How about this? If you make $200 and spend 100 of it, I'll give you 1,000. Even better. And that's essential I've got to do. I've got to make $20 million. Okay, that's not an amount of money I haven't made before. So this is no longer something I haven't done. I have made $20 million. And on behalf of my companies, totally done it. For one of my companies this year, I made $3.9 million. That was easy. Not 20 million, but 3.9, not hard, right? And I, I only had to do that a little bit longer. That was doable. And I was only a part, uh, a part owner of that company. I wasn't even like, you know, fully involved. And I, I did the 3.9. There were other people that made more. This is easy. All right, I can make 20 million in a year. I can only spend 10 million to make it doable. So all my costs have to be half. All right, I got it. So now I know that that's the thing I've got to build. I then have to work out, what do I do? How do I do it? So I analyzed the 1900 companies I'd worked with and found what is the one thing they don't have that they needed. And I just made a note. This company doesn't have this, 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 this. They wish they did, got it. This company doesn't have this, 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 this. They wish they did, got it. And I just wrote them all down. Now I'm not gonna give away my idea. 
But what I am going to do is tell you that there was more than one. In fact, in almost any company, there's more than one. And I'll give you some random ideas I'm not doing to show you things that they really wanted. A good person doing social media. Someone who actually knows social media. That's missing. Anyone? Everyone's like, I'm going to do social media. Are you good at it, though? Who cares? That's the problem. <laughs> you got to be good at it. Um, what I love is I have a buddy of mine who's a social media consultant, and he brags about the fact that his social media, uh, you know, personal social media has 100,000 followers, and that for 30,000, he'll help you do your social media, which is awesome, and he is very talented, and he's done a really good job. But the guy that I hired to do my social media personally has half a million followers because he's, it's this guy, because he's, because he actually is a social media person. The problem is most social media people have never tried to build a business that is robust, that would actually serve companies and corporations. No one's cracked the code yet. Another thing that people can't do is retain Generation Z. Generation Z want to switch and chop change and move different companies and no one's really worked how to retain them and keep them wanting to stay in one place. That is a real thing. Of 1,900 companies, they all said, man, I really wish I could keep my employees for longer. They come, they go, they leave. They don't want to be in the office, but they don't get any work done. Another thing that people wish. And my point is I could go on and on and on about things that are missing in 1,900 companies. I picked one. One thing I knew I could do. And then I developed what I wanted the software to be by hiring a software consultant, not a software company. Because when I tried to hire a software company, they told me that the, the test model would be $150,000. And then I'd probably look at half a million to a million to fully finish it. And I'm like, man, I don't want to spend a million dollars before I've made a dollar. This is terrible. I want to do that. So instead, I hired a software consultant for $300 that I found online. And this guy really charges 12,000 for a day. So I said, how much would it cost me to buy you a coffee? And he goes, 300 bucks gets you half an hour. I'm like, done. Plus he wanted a consultation in exchange. A little bit of an exchange going on. So I pay him 300 bucks, we have a coffee, and he sits down with me and I describe my software to him. And while we're sitting there, he maps out the, the MVP, the minimum viable product. And he says, this is the minimum thing you need to build in order to do it. No graphics, no drawings. It's just a bunch of words, bullet point on a piece of paper. And I see it and I go, great, thank you very much. I then leave and find other pieces of software that do everything on that list. Because pretty much every piece of software actually that is needed exists in some form or another or a version of it. And it turns out that my piece of software is three other softwares combined with a little bit of flavor added in. Okay, so my software actually already exists. I don't need to spend half a million. I can just buy three pieces of software and I now have my software. Problem is, it would look like their software, not my software, and that's a problem. So how do I bridge this gap? Well, in the industrial age, before they automated things with machines, what did they use? Humans. And it turns out that most AI software things can be done with a human. That humans are slow. You know what speeds up humans? Software. So I had three humans, each one in charge of a different piece of software. 
And now the system was simple. One human communicates with the client, receives what they need, takes that piece of information to the three humans in charge of the three pieces of software. We take the information, put it into one software, it outputs the answer. Put it into the second software, it outputs the answer. Put it into the third software, it outputs the answer. Output it back to the client. Anyone who has ever been in manufacturing will understand the idea of making an industrial machine that goes through a number of processes with a human that will take it from one machine and move it to the next machine. This is standard industrial age machine thinking. And then you replace the humans one by one by one. What I'm saying is for the cost of $430 a month or something, I can pay for licenses for all three softwares. For an additional $5,000 a month per person, I can have a staff member who will run that software on behalf of our company who only knows that one process but is really good at it. And we give them five weeks full vacation, paid vacation every year and full medical, which in America is insane. It's basically like I created socialism in my office. It's crazy without any of the downsides. It's wonderful, right? So my staff are super happy because they're looked after and they just do that one process. And then the highest touch person, the vice president of my company is the one that communicates with the customer and then goes back to them. Anyone can build a piece of cyborg software, which is what I'm calling it. Fahad, look up cyborgsoftware.com and buy that for me, please. It's my, uh, my tech guy. I just realized that's a good name. And you know what's great about that name? It's a two-word domain. And if I can own the principle of that, that could be really powerful. Thanks, Fahad. Fahad's connected to my, uh, my tech. So the reason that I like this concept is because I can now prove out a model without developing the software. Now, the multiple on this company initially will be lower. It won't be 27x because there are humans. But... What valuation do I need to hit my 100 million? 10x. Somewhere between 10 and 27 is where this will hit because it is a cyborg software patent pending concept um, that I just developed right now. It is available? God damn it. Yeah, grab that. Just tell, tell Eve to buy that. Thanks. Oh, that's great. Anyway, so the reason this is really cool is because I can prove a software without spending half a million dollars. The next step was, okay, I need to sell this concept. 10 days ago, I first started selling this thing. Oh, 14 days ago is when I first started selling it. To sell it, I had no website, no software, three people in place and a vice president. And I knew what software we're using. I then bought a booth at a trade convention where I knew that everybody there would want this because after 1,900 companies, I identified, by the way, 100% of the 1,900 companies was missing this thing. And so I turned up at the booth. I had a big, pretty booth. I bought the prettiest, brightest booth I could ever get. And to save money on setting up the booth, I designed it myself. I am a painter and, like as in an artistic painter, and a copywriter with marketing. If I hired a graphic designer, I would get beautiful graphic design and no copywriting. If I hired a copywriter, I'd get amazing copy that would not fit in graphic design. I downloaded canva.com, which is another piece of software, paid for the subscription, 20 bucks or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know, it's not a lot. And then I designed my booth. 
I got the panel sizes, I input them in Canva, I put the colors on that I'd known were the right colors because I looked online and did a little branding exercise. You can literally Google this shit. And I wrote in my branding and I designed the whole booth myself. Because I designed the booth myself, the booth cost me $3,900. That was it. $3,900. Plus my time to design it. If I'd hired a graphic designer and a marketer and a copywriter, this would have cost me God knows how much. I rented the best booth that I could find in the most highly trafficked area in the convention. Where did I get my booth? There is a massive stage where people are coming in and out every day and all the booths by the stage are the most expensive booths. Is that where I put my booth? No, right next to the toilets. Because everyone's gonna use the restroom. It was right next to the toilet. Everyone's like, oh, you're in the back of the hall. No one's gonna go there. Sure, <laughs> they're gonna go there four or five times a day actually. Yeah, everyone goes to the restroom. So we sat in the darkest corner with a booth that glowed, knowing we were gonna be in the darkest corner with a bright blue glowing booth. You wanna find the restroom? It's by the blue booth. We were the landmark, by the blue booth, by the blue booth. If you're into NLP, by the blue booth. <laughs> so people would come by and they would hang out at the booth and we had a very simple system to sell. The system was this. We all wore orange glasses. Let me show you. These glasses. Every single person at our booth wore glasses just like this. Here's the reason why. We run customer insight reports that analyze customer behavior. When we're buying and selling companies, I wanna know what drives people. So customer insight reports is an analysis, not of somebody's demographics, not of their avatar, who they are, where they go. Instead, it's fears, psychographs, um, frustrations, desires, and dreams. We focus on what drives them, not who they are. We also get who they are, but that's not, not as important. One of the biggest things that we know is that business owners and entrepreneurs are into biohacking. And orange glasses are called blue blockers, which is the most common form of biohacking that most entrepreneurs start with because business owners who work for themselves and are tired every day and have an asshole of a boss if you're keeping track of the whole story, don't sleep very well. And when they look up how to sleep better, they will find blue blockers and they will buy them. So people would come up to us at the booth and be like, oh, blue blockers. And we would respond, do you know why we're wearing blue blockers? And they go, of course, it's to stop with eye strain. We go, no, it's because 99%, so it's 90% of entrepreneurs at a convention are highly likely to initiate a conversation with a stranger using blue blockers as the excuse. Ask me how I know. That is why we wore them. They would say, how do you know? And we'd say, because our company runs customer insight reports to identify what drives your customers into spending more money. How much money, how much energy do you currently put into analyzing why your buyers buy? Not who your buyers are, but why they buy. And would you be interested in learning more about what drives them to buy? In the same way that we knew you would initiate a conversation with us based on these blue blockers, we can tell you what will drive your customers to give you more money. Would you like to know more? That was our booth. They come into the booth, watch a short video of just how much money they're leaving on the table, and we offer them a free consultation to show what would happen if we took our software and our customer insight reports, which doesn't exist as a single piece of software yet, 
but it is in three pieces of software, and ran their company through it and output the data to them. As of today, which is two weeks later, if I never made another sale other than the sales I've already made, at the end of year one, the EBITDA of my company is half a million dollars. Half a million dollars in profit at the end of year one. I want to put that in perspective. That means my company has already done a year one run rate of a million dollars in two weeks. At this rate, we hit $20 million in 10 months if we keep up this pace. I've heard of many companies becoming successful overnight after many, many years of hardships. It is very rare that you hear somebody that has worked the company out from the sale to the origin, knowing the run rate on day one and the profit on day one, and knowing that if we maintain this pace, we have a valuation at the end of year one of $100 million. Now, it's not about this company. I am in mergers and acquisitions. I probably won't sell at the end of year one, and there will probably, I'm not an idiot, there will be problems and complications that probably stop this happening, and I will have to fight and solve them and deal with all sorts of stuff. But as of today, our run rate is on track to hit our goal in a single year. And sales are so easy, we are actively not promoting right now because we want to make sure that we deliver things correctly and our processes are good. We literally can just turn the tap on and off for the amount of customers. Now, to give you an idea of how many customers are available, we're specifically targeting small businesses in America. So we're targeting companies that are doing under $38.5 million a year or less. Those companies, there are literally millions of in America. Our target is met once we make 177 sales. We don't even need the largest market share. We can actually survive on a fraction of a percent and we still hit our goal with one big caveat, we have no competitors. No company exists that does what we do. There are companies that analyze demographics for sure, but there are none that analyze psychographics and then do one other piece, which is what we do next, which is actually do the sales for you. That's the difference. There are companies that will tell you what to do and then go, good luck to you. Us, no, we'll do the sales as well. We are so sure this works, we'll be your sales force and do the sales and manage the whole thing. You just sit back and enjoy the money. You see, it doesn't really matter what company we plug into, what niche, what industry. There is no demographic company in America that will also do your sales. And there is no sales company in America that will do the demographics and share them with you in case you take it and do the sales yourself. So we do everything. It's a complete done for you sales system for no commission whatsoever. Because it's software and we're not greedy, we don't need the commission. So we do your sales for a flat rate, what you would pay a single regular salaried person. But our software and our data and our systems will do all of that for you. This is why this is so appealing. There is no solo entrepreneur that can do this 
because they can't survive off that amount of money. And if you don't understand how to build out a system like this, nobody else can do it either. This is the power of software. But I could do the same thing for social media aggregation. I could do the same thing for human resources. My point is there is an unlimited amount of potential within reason for you to go and develop and do this. If you pause for one moment and looked at what you wanted your company to be like in the end, and then just built towards that goal. And for me, where this gets interesting is the minute I'm worth 100 million, I'm gonna sell for 100 million, probably. Because I don't really care about this one company. Because I'm building it to sell it, not to keep it. I can't tell you how many business owners I meet and they go, I put my life and blood into this. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be overvalued. I know it. The minute you say, I work every day, I'm like, do you know how expensive you work every day is? The valuation of your company will drop to 1x if you are needed in the office. The best companies are built with somebody who doesn't care about the company at all. I don't care about this company. I'm ready to let it go. The right price, somebody can just come along and be like, I wanna take this before it gets too expensive. Great, take it. How many millions do you wanna give me to take it off my hands? It's yours. Best part? I still haven't developed the software yet. I'm gonna build out the software from the money, from the com com money that's coming in. In doing so, I will actually keep my EBITDA lower because all the profit margin that I would pay tax on is gonna be used for software development. Remember, I need a million dollars probably to build this software. That's fine. Because I know that that money will be EBITDA on the year that I wanna sell it. In the meantime, I wanna keep my taxes low. So I'll put all of that into software development, patents, and just spend as much as I can so I don't keep any of that money and I don't pay tax on it. From the point I'm ready to sell, a full 12 months, I will crank up the profit. The profit will go through the roof. Check this. On the sale of the company, 12 months, I will time it just before taxes. <laughs> and that profit will also be mine and I'll walk it out the company. An additional $10 million bonus on the final year. So I will build up the profit not to give it to them. They get the company, I get the profit and all the money off the back of it. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is I'm hoping, raise your hand if you had an epiphany right now, if you're like, okay, shit, excellent, good. So now what I want you to do is to look at your business, scrap everything you know about it and ask yourself, if you were gonna start again and you were gonna build it to sell it, what would you sell it for? Who would you sell it to? What pieces would you do? Not all the other shit you've added on, because just what basic thing would you do that you know everyone needs? What would you call it? What would be the profit margin you'd run it at? In order to run at that profit margin, what would need to be automated, which by the way is a you know, late 1800s technique, that business owners have forgotten now? What can we automate and make easy with processes and machines that we can plug a human in with cyborg software, patent pending, that you guys could use to build this out and get it going? Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. 
Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.